0: Welcome to the Windshield Chronicles, a mental sequence of operation. This episode brought to you by our good friends at hvacredu.net, workforce development online for the HBACR industry. Learn more at hvacredu.net. All right. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for joining. And we're hanging out today with our good friend, Todd Kleer. Todd, how's it going? Howdy. All right, so everyone, two H back and automotive nerds walk into a bar, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, how can it go wrong from here, Todd? I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, welcome everyone. We'll we'll get back to the actual. Uh, intelligent side of this thing, but we're going to have some fun. You know, we're here to have fun, but we're also here to talk about transitions that's happening in our industry and to help ease a lot of the discomfort that is out there, especially when it comes to new technologies. So for those of you who don't know, Todd and I... We got a little bit of age to us as technicians, right? We've been around for a little while, but both of us have also been part of the automotive industry. We've both worked on vehicles. We've, you know, as technicians, I'm sure a lot of you are the same way. So we have learned to embrace change with the things that we work on. Now, as technicians, a lot of us are very mechanical, right? That's why we do what we do. But it doesn't always just stay there. Like, I mean, how many of us started by building bicycles when we were young, right? You know, yeah. and then worked on our own vehicles when we got oh, to yeah. that point. So I used to flip vehicles. I mean, even in high school, I used to flip vehicles, which mean I had to learn how to work on them, right? So when we start talking about the evolution of the automotive industry, there are some very significant things that have happened in automotive that are almost identical to what we're seeing in our current transition in the industry. So today we're going to spend some time talking about evolution of two separate industries and how they are are kind of merging now, finally, at this point. What is our first tools? Were they plastic? No, most of the time it was things that we pinched fingers with and broke Rucker stuff sets. with. Yeah, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, scavenging through you know, spare stuff for parts for things to tear apart and try to fix. And that was just kind of part of it. So let's let's look at what happened with automotive so we can see where we are right now. And if hang in here because we're going to we're going to show you some things that are going to help inverters make a lot of sense, because a lot of people are afraid of inverters. And we really need to be aware that inverters are the new standard. You know, we think. It is. I mean, we spent time almost a year ago with David Brennan from Reem, looking at yep. the new lineup of equipment and realized that, man, almost everything was gone that had a contactor except yeah. for the hybrid systems that had an inverter board plus a contactor that ran on inverter up to about 75 to 80% and then switched over to contactor to run full 100%. So it took the inverter board out so it wasn't using any excess wattage. I've already talked to some of our friends over at Johnson Controls going, "Hey, yeah, we're really heavy on inverters." And Daikin is saying that they're here to they're here to inverterize the world. That is That's the right. mission of Daikin, right? So let's look at vehicles real quick, and let's let's look some of our lineage. Right, we seen some big transitions in the 1970s, and that was really based on fuel efficiency, the demand for fuel efficiency because the cost of, of fuel the was ridiculous. energy to run those engines. Right, <laughs> so we're really just talking about that internal combustion engine, the cost of the fuel to run it. Yeah, and some of some of our audience may be too young to know, but. Back in
1: the 70s, the fuel, fuel sor- shortage. I mean, there was, what, odds and evens of your license plate to get fuel.
0: Yeah. It wasn't like you can just go down to the gas station like we can now. I mean, you waited in line to pay premiums like we pay now for fuel. So... We took the internal combustion engine, and this is the important part as an analogy in our classrooms and when we're, especially when we're talking with our technicians and students, when we started evolving our internal combustion engine, it wasn't about reinventing the internal combustion engine. It was about making it more More efficient, right? Right. So we started working with emissions quite a bit. That's when we started utilizing catalytic converters. And that's when we started making our vehicles lighter. We had an increase. And then we leveled out through the 80s, right? We're still talking about carburetors. We're still talking about mechanical ignition systems. We're still talking about big, heavy boats, right? (laughs) Pretty heavy vehicles in the 80s. Steel. (laughs) Lots and lots and lots of steel. So once we got into the 90s, we started looking for other opportunities to change the fuel efficiency of that internal combustion engine, right? So how did we do that? Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. We're gonna show you some of the things that we did and how similar it is to what we're doing in HVAC. So let's look at HVAC, right? HVAC industry. Just looking at seer in cooling and heating capabilities, we've increased a little bit over time, but relatively stagnant. If we look at the increases, like in automotive, we're talking three times efficiency changes in many applications. We haven't went that far in HVAC. Not yet. No but we have started trending upward. Well, we're getting ready to make a big trend upward, but we need to understand how we do that. So let's take a look at where we went from and what we went to in automotive, and we'll show you those analogies in HVAC, right? So let's think about these vehicles of the early 80s, early 90s when we started making that transition. We were talking about internal combustion engines, we're talking about pistons that were being driven by connecting rods, being rotated by a crankshaft, ignited by fuel, ignited by spark and air, and relatively crude controls. You know, we, we still had points ignition systems in the late eighties, and we we're using chain-driven timing systems. And it was reciprocating.
1: It was, yeah. Look at, our good it was friend Ty, Ty did a great, great uh, uh, video yesterday on one of his medias, and that you know, hey. The reciprocating compressor is dead. That's because it's not going to come back.
0: It's not. It's phasing out. We're we're looking into more efficient designs. All that clearance space. Every time it comes up, that piston comes up and down. It's right. It's where. So we looked at better ways to lubricate. We were looking at that internal combustion engine. We're going to pick on like some small block Chevy, small block Ford stuff, just for analogies so that you can see what we did. We didn't completely re-engineer the internal combustion engine. We changed a few things to make it more efficient. We added fuel injection, so we took off the manual carburation and we put on digital fuel injection. We put on electronic ignition so that we could control the advance of the spark so that we could fine tune that ignition so that we had the best fuel efficiency, whether we were in the torque power band, the high RPM power bands where we were cruising, we could modify the ignition electronically. And later we went to variable valve timing. So we removed those mechanical components, right? And went digital. We went digital. Now, Todd, what did we do with the internal of the engine? It's the same. I mean, it's still the same today. It's all reciprocating. <laughs> it's still a reciprocating block. It's still got a crankshaft with connecting rods and pistons. And it's still made out of a lot of the same com- materials. Either. I mean, I,
1: I use the analogy, you know, for those of us who remember the old Mazda RX-7s, they had rotary engines. It's very yes, similar to the rotary technology rotor. compressors that we have The Same now. design.
0: Exactly. You know what? man, I wish we would talk about this beforehand. I'd throw in some rotary in there. <laughs> because it did. It was about efficiency. So you know, Mazda came out that rotary engine, but he put in the RX 7s real early because it was a very efficient, high RPM engine. You know, we got a lot more RPMs in our rotaries today, don't we? All right. But they were fuel hogs. They were, yeah, they weren't the best. A lot of those were still carbureted too. We started getting into some fuel injection, but more throttle body and not multi-port. All right. So let's talk about our hogs. Let's yeah. talk <laughs>
1: electrical hogs.
0: That Let's is. talk about our electrical hogs and that have been around and, and think about this. You know, there are still some reciprocating compressors out there, not a ton, but there are some of them. If we think about the efficiency of our single stage and two stage equipment, you know, we're not getting too high, maybe topping out in the 16 seer. 18 if, if you're really lucky. I if Depending on lucky, the matchup, depending on the depending matchup. On a matchup and airflows, you might be able to get up there, but that's, that's like really pushing it to be able to get to 18. Right. So if we look at what our traditional, and I'm going to call these traditional or legacy air conditioning systems, we're talking about. A lot of fixed orifices, and I just had this conversation uh, last week. Paul, Grimm, I don't know if you're out there, buddy. If you are, hop in here and chime in on this. I had a good friend of mine from a major distributor call and said, hey, we, uh, we're we worried about some of our dealers because they're throwing a fit about this new SEER 2, and they said they're going to change brands because they can get piston matchups at some other brands. I said, well, go ahead. They've got it left for probably a few more months, and then they're going to be back to ground zero. Cause they've got some old stock they're trying to get rid of. Yeah. So uh, fixed orifice is what most of us grew up with. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. tons Ca- of fixed cap orifices. tube on a lot of cap things. tubes on stuff. Absolutely. So we had fixed orifice contactor driven single speed operation systems. So we had motors that ran at single speeds. Yeah. We'd have different speed selections, but they ran at one, one speed desired speed. One tap, one tap, and we had compressors that run on single speed, single RPMs, even if it was a two stage. So if you're not real comfortable with a two stage system, all we're doing is bypassing some of our discharge gas back into the suction so that we reduce our compression ratio, which in return just does a lot with our capacity goes down but you know your fit your your fish cedar is only really that much but you got hot
1: gas coming right back yeah and it's even more efficient but not that much
0: not tremendously to to, nah. yeah so what we are doing is industry is evolving and this is not just in residential air conditioning light like commercial air conditioning. I mean, this is in refrigeration as well. We're starting to see a yeah, lot of inverters. It, in residential refrigeration, a lot of our refrigerators are already inverter, if you didn't know that. A lot of our window air conditioners, especially ones that are going with things like R32, a lot of those are going inverter already. So, what is inverter? Well, that's what we're here to dive into to help you understand that all inverters really run the same. It's just a change of the controls on our internal compression engine. Isn't that what we're talking about with the vapor pump? We're talking about an internal compression engine. So how do we make it more efficient? We take out our piston. We start utilizing things like thermostatic expansion valves and particularly electronic expansion valves, which I love.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We're going to use control boards and we're going to use variable speed motors in our fans and in our compressor.
1: How do we, how do you uh, speed up or slow down a compressor or a motor? Right. How, how, where is that you magic? Can't, you, you can't, you can't just adjust the voltage, right? Because what happens? Well, for all of us who know Ohm's on the law. That, let's, let's do it on the law. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> you, right, you, you go on right. display. Uh, make the math easy. Okay. Volts. All right. Hold on. All right. 100 volts, 10 amps. Okay. What do you got for watts? 1,000, okay. right. That's right. OK, let's let's get rid of the uh, drop the voltage in half and go 50 volts. What happens to your amperage? Oh,
0: 20. Oh, because the wattage is the wattage, right? Exactly. All right. So we can't fluctuate the voltage. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to modulate a variable speed motor? Remember, we're talking a variable speed motor in our air circulation and in our compressor. vapor circulation. Right? And in our a compressor. lot of us might a lot of us might know that already. And I know there's some, I saw some uh,
1: refrigeration techs that I've worked with uh, that chimed in already. And yeah. they've been doing it in refrigeration and commercial, commercial industrial oh, refrigeration ages. for years. Well, VSDs and VFDs, VFDs. Yeah, right? variable frequencies. We're not changing voltage. We're changing just going like to change the frequency. And here in North America, we use 60 hertz, 60 hertz. Well, if you wanted half speed, 30 hertz. But how do we change the frequency? That's and
0: right. you do it with a drive or an inverter. Ah. All right. So let's look at components. So we have a very thorough understanding of the change in components. Because those of you that are used to working on conventional or traditional systems, you know what components you have. You're comfortable with them. If you're working on a vehicle, you got things like distributors and yeah. mechanical starters and points ignitions. We might happen to have an electronic ignition, but use let's use points for this particular one so we stay mechanical. And we're going to have like ignition coils, right? Yep. We're going to store voltage and we're going to fire it off mechanically. We're not going to have a lot of control over it. Well, what about over on our air conditioning? I guess my hands are backwards. Let me have yeah. this. <laughs> let's go over to the AC side. And we're talking about a contactor that is driving motors, single speed operated motors with assistance of capacitors, right? We're talking about basic fundamental operation of a air conditioning or refrigeration system. On or off. On or off, it's a light switch, either one, light switch, right? That's right. So let's think about what's changing to make sure we're comfortable with this transition. Because when we get comfortable with all the components that make up this transition, you'll be more comfortable with the transition. So here's where we are. This is where we're leaving. This is where the uncomfort zone is going to be. (laughs) But we're going to break that. Week after week, we're going to break that uncomfort zone. And we're going to to make you advanced technicians. All right? Right. So here we go. Automotive started evolving. We had the automotive evolution. We went from our mechanical controlled systems into electronically controlled systems and we added a processor. It's got a variety of names. CPU is a common one. Central processing unit, main board, computer, all sorts of things you will hear this board called. But what is it? It's a calculator, right? <laughs> Inputs, outputs. It's, it's, it puts them out. Gar- garbage in, garbage yeah. out, right? And that is exactly right. If I feed this thing garbage, it's going to put out garbage. If I feed it good ends, it's going to send out good ends. That's right. So, when we talk about our inverter, all we're doing is we're using the exact same construction. We're using our calculator to be able to make our controls. So, let's look at the components that make up our inputs and outputs for our processor in either one, just so you can be more comfortable with the analogy. Let's look at how these things are going to read temperatures, right? So we're going to use some type of sensor, a thermistor, or we're going to use thermal couple. We're going to use something. Typically, it's thermistors so that we have a nice variable DC voltage and accurate. So if we look at our processor, our CPU on a vehicle, we're going to use things like intake air temperature, our low side temperature. We're going to use things like exhaust gas temperature, our high side temperature. So we have inputs. And remember, what kind of voltage, Todd, is our vehicle's already running on? All direct current. It's all DC. Easy to modulate, right? Yep. So a lot of our sensors, we're just going to drop that voltage down. And what's funny about it is a lot of these thermistors on automotive are actually operating at five volts DC. All right. Depends on the manufacturer of the system, but there are very, there's a lot of them out there that are operating on a five volt DC platform. So we send in a positive five volt DC. We have a ground or a neutral. And then based on the temperature, we have a variable DC voltage coming back out as an input over to our CPU. So we have low side temperatures on a vehicle. We have high side temperatures on a vehicle and we get over to our inverters. We've got (laughs) <laughs> they are <misters. laughs> we're we're back again yeah and m- most of these are actually going to operate on five volt dc vo- dc voltage right so it but, all kind, but, of, but, but, kind of converting but, it but wait a minute yes. how
1: do we get the dc voltage you run let's hear it well this board this inverter is going to do a you know a wave replication from our from our alternating current in incoming ac incoming yep. ac sine wave right mm-hmm. whether it's 240 120 whatever it's going whatever. to whatever and it's going to convert it to a usable, through through a wave recordification, of, an, of the inverter and turn it into a DC that we can use. And the beauty about DC is we don't have to worry too much about Ohm's law with adjusting the voltage. We can just adjust the voltage. I mean, you guys all have uh, drill motors out there when you take cabinets off, right? What do you do with that trigger? You can vary the trigger a little bit, right? Well,
0: does the motor burn up?
1: No, because direct current
0: exactly and when we put it into a three phase application even better. which even better like say our compressors uh, you know most of our compressors are going to be a three phase motor and we're then we're not even changing the voltage and we don't we, need a cap no not needed we're just taking our high voltage and remember it's about 130% of the incoming ac voltage Yep. On average. So if I've got 120 volts AC going to it and I've got a 120 volt AC mini split sitting right over here on the shelf that I use to tear apart for doing uh, training purposes. So I've got 120 volts in and I've got like 150, 160 volts out for my DC. If I'm talking about a 240, 230, 240 volt power supply, I'm somewhere in that 300 volt DC output. So then I got all kinds of current, right? (laughs) I got all kinds of voltage. I got my pressure. My voltage is pressure, remember? So I got my pressure behind me. And if I want to fire a three-phase motor, I just control the timing that I fire each of those three phases with a lot of nice power. Makes it nice and efficient, right? Yep. So now we've got our... Input put, in temperatures. So we can look at our low pressure temperatures or or, our low side temperatures, our high side temperatures. Now we can start throwing them everywhere. When when I did grocery refrigeration, you know, I did a lot of new grocery startup and commissioning and I I worked on some old ones too, but a lot of new stores, if there was something I wanted to monitor the temperature of, I just threw me out a thermistor and give it a, give it a a location and went monitor this. And if I wanted to monitor two of them, I put two of them and I said, subtract this one from that one and give me what that number is. The average or the average. Yeah. Or average it. So all we're doing is we're just looking at different points so we can have precise calculations in our control. So let's let's take it a little step further. Right. You ready? What about pressure? Anybody ever thought about pressure on a vehicle? Sure. A lot of people. A lot of people. I do. You do. Fuel real fuel, fuel pressure. Yeah, in come map pressure, manifold absolute pressure, exhaust manifold pressure. There's a variety of things that we look at on a vehicle. So let's look at, say, the map, manifold absolute pressure. We're looking at the air coming into the engine. that's on the low side of the system. We could also look at the EGR, the exhaust gas side of it. We can look at the pressure on that side. And now we have a pressure calculation, same 5-volt DC, nothing crazy. You know whatever the voltage is that it's using for the temperature thermistors, it's probably using the same voltage for the pressure transducers. What about <laughs> boost pressure? Now <laughs> we're going really positive. Instead of being negative on the low side, we're just going to be positive on that low side so that That's our right. output is multiplied. You know, wh- pressure. What happens if I increase the pressure on the low side? I'm going to increase the pressure on the high side the as high well. Side. I'm going to increase. I increase input. I'm going to increase output. So. Now we've taken some temperature measurements and we've taken some pressure measurements and our processor has done some calculations on our controller. Well, what about our inverters? Pressure transducers. <laughs> That's all what it is. It's another, it's another 5 volt DC pressure transducer so that we can read pressures on the low side and on the high side of the system.
1: And if, for those of you who don't know what a pressure transducer says, say you didn't get there, a lot of us have with, guess what? We're getting away from true old school manifold? manifolds, exactly where I'm going with this, <laughs> right. and we're using these right in here in hand. Your hose is nothing. No, right? absolutely. It's gone. Man, I and so that, and just turns into a Bluetooth signal and goes to your, your app. You measure quick, uh, the Testo, uh, Fuel Piece, whatever app right. yeah, I'm out there, And it spits out a number, a known number that you guys are used to seeing on your analogs. In fact, all digital manifold gauges, even with hoses, are pressure transducers.
0: That is such a good analogy. So what are we doing, right? Let's grab the old handy-dandy testos. I knew I had my testos, nine manifolds floating around. So if I'm talking about wireless gauges, digital gauges of any kind, any brand, any, any model you want, you ever notice what kind of batteries we're using in these? Usually AAA or double or A's. DC voltage batteries. Yeah. So thermistor, we're sending a voltage. So we're using two, typically two double A's, 1.6 volts a piece, so about three volts. So we send a three volt positive DC supply to our thermistor, our temperature thermistor, and a variable DC comes back and we send that variable signal back to our manifold, our calculator, or our phone, or phone, whatever we're using. Pressure transducer, exact same way. All I have is a pressure transducer operated by DC voltage. Whatever that variable DC voltage is, it comes back as a signal back to my processor. Well, what happens when we put those on the piece of equipment? And we leave them there. Well, guess what? We do that all the time. They're on our high sides and low sides. On a lot of equipment. People don't even realize this is where it gets fun. This is why I love talking about this stuff. We can make this real. We can go, oh my gosh, is it really this simple? Yes, it is. So what are we gonna do with our inputs on our CPU on a vehicle? We're just gonna use it to control the capacity. Yep. We're gonna control the pressure, the fuel going to our fuel injectors. We're going to control the voltage and the timing going to our ignition coil, which is now tied directly to our spark plugs. So we don't lose it in wiring. Yep. We get over to our inverter. Well, and we're just gonna operate electronic expansion valves. Remember, DC voltage is still we're going to operate fan motors, sometimes with DC voltage, sometimes with three phase. So it just depends on, you know, which style we use, depends on what the board wants to do, depends on actually depends on the horsepower of the motor that we're driving. As much as anything, and also depends on the motor type too. If it's still an alternating current motor, then yes. we got to turn it into.
1: We got to. We got to. Then we have direct frequency.
0: It exactly, and so there's Not some different, yeah. Exactly, but like our DC voltage, we can check all that on our board. Yeah. We've actually got DC test ports. I gotta get. I gotta tear one apart and do some more inverter board training because they're simple to check them. Right, it's just like checking a car battery. We can actually check the DC voltages on inverter board. All right, so we got inputs, Todd. That goes to a processor that controls some outputs. Yeah. on a vehicle and on an inverter <laughs> all right well thank you all so much for joining us any last minute things in the chat looks like we pretty well got it all covered a lot of good conversations today. and uh, if
1: you need to get in touch with me angles. it's my name with yes. it, uh
0: right there
1: HBCEDU.net.
0: first right. name absolutely everyone have a wonderful evening and we will see you all next week on did you know